Good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here, for choosing to worship with us. If you're online, thanks for choosing to worship with us as well. Today we're beginning a new series that we're calling Align. And I'm excited about this series and what we get to cover for the next several weeks. And I want to say up front with you that I want to encourage you to come all four weeks of this series. You're in part one today, but I want to be up front and say um, I want to encourage you to make a commitment to come every week to be a part of this series. And the reason why I think it's so important and I emphasize that commitment is because it's, it's critical that we are aligned It's critical that we're aligned with God. It's critical that we're aligned together as a church. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what that means and why it's so important for us. Because alignment is, is just that, that um, big of a deal. And it's just too, too important for us to, to not pay very close attention to it. We know um, that it's important to be aligned. And, and one of the reasons why that is because it's very easy for us in the busyness of life or to run ahead of things and assume that we're in alignment with God. And we get, we, instead of stopping to ask the question, God, is this the direction you want me to head? Is this, am I in alignment with who you are and what you have for me? And so it's important for us to just stop and do that. And I don't need to convince you of all the reasons why it's important to be aligned in life. Because we know this is true in all sorts of arenas of life, that if we're out of alignment, if we're misaligned, then all sorts of, um, uh, you know, more detrimental things can happen. You know that's true in, in the business world. If there's a business that's not aligned around a shared strategy and vision, the business will struggle. In relationships, if you're trying to move forward, but you find you're not in alignment with each other and you're going in opposite directions, it's going to create tension in that relationship because you're not in alignment. We know this is true in sports teams, that if a sports team isn't aligned about their strategy and the plays that they're trying to execute, the sports team will struggle and it will fall apart. We know this is true when it comes to automobiles and planes or any kind of machinery. If parts of the machine are out of alignment, it can be very unsafe and it can be detrimental. We know it's true in terms of our physical bodies. When our body is out of alignment, it doesn't work as well, does it? You may or may not know this, but I have um, a history of chronic dislocating kneecaps. Um, Particularly my left knee has popped out of joint more times than I can count. And having had kneecaps that pop out of alignment, there's some things that I've learned. One of the things that I've learned is it hurts. It's very painful. When your kneecap decides to slide to the side of your leg and no longer be in alignment with your body, um, I've also learned that not only does it hurt, but you don't move very fast either. In fact, in my case, it's usually me crumpling to the ground because I'm in so much pain and I can't move forward. And so here's the deal. I know from personal experience how important it is for my body to be in alignment And when my body is not in alignment, it's painful and I don't move very fast. But the same is true when it comes to this body, the church, all of us. If we aren't in alignment with God's God, who God is and his purposes for us, guess what? It hurts and we won't be moving forward very quickly. We just we just have to be um, upfront about that. And so it's critical for us to stop and say, how can we be aligned? Because if we're misaligned, we'll find ourselves frustrated, we'll find ourselves tired, and we'll find ourselves unfulfilled. Unless we stop and say, God, am I in alignment 
with who you are and what you want us to be about. And so for the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. And today, in fact, we're going to be looking at a passage found in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to it. Acts chapter 15. This is a, a, a passage that speaks to a point in the history of the church where they got out of alignment. And we're going to look at where they got out of alignment but more, uh, more uh, specifically, we want to look at how they got back into alignment and what it is that they aligned around, because that will be so informative and instructive for us as we begin our, our time together. So Acts chapter 15, if you, um, just by way of background on the book of Acts, before we look at the, pack, uh, the, the passage, the book of Acts records really the birth and expansion of the church. And I'm not talking about church as a building. I'm talking about a church as the body of believers, people who have placed their faith in Christ. So the book of Acts really records the birth of the church and the expansion of the church. And the key verse for the book of Acts is Acts 1, verse 8. This is what it says. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus talking to the disciples Um, before he ascended into heaven. And he says, listen, I'm going away, but you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you're to be my witnesses. And then he explains how they're to be witnesses and the expansion of the church. And Acts 1-8 really is key to the book of Acts because it gives us the outline of the book of Acts. Let me just show you. He begins by saying, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so the book of Acts, the first several chapters are about, go ahead and go to the next slide. The first couple of chapters talk about, um, Acts 1 through 7, talk about the birth of the church. So it was kind of started there in Jerusalem, a bunch of Jewish believers uh, in, in, who have faith in Christ. That's the, begin, the, bir- the beginning, the birth of the church. Um, that's where it begins. But then the church in Jerusalem experienced persecution and challenge. And as a result of that, they were forced to move out. They scattered from the, the Jerusalem, but they scattered outwards into the surrounding areas. And so that's where you see Acts chapters 8 through 12 talk about the expansion of the church to, to Judea and Samaria. And then from there, it goes outside of Jewish region, Jewish areas, to the ends of the earth, which we read about in Acts chapter 13 through 28. So this is the, um, ex- the, the outline of the book of Acts. It's the expansion of the church. And what we see is it going outward. Now, there's a beautiful thing because as the church began to expand from just the Jewish believers to non-Jewish believers, they, they call them Gentiles, um, it was a wonderful thing because more and more people were placing their faith in Christ. But at the same time, it was creating great uh, controversy and challenge in the church as well. Because you have to remember, the church began with Jewish believers who had found their Messiah. And all of a sudden, now this, this church, this, this believers of, of faith, were growing to non-Jewish believers. And so now the church was predominantly Jewish, is now being flooded with a bunch of non-Jewish people. And they don't have um, the same background, traditions, culture, um, and it was really a, a, a tension point for the early church because the Jewish people, it really pushed against their, their deeply ingrained prejudice towards outsiders, and it also pushed them to say, well, what is it that we really believe about our traditions and our rituals and these things and what it really means to become a, a believer in Christ? And so it created tension in the church. In fact, it created so much tension that the church had to come together and convene and talk about it. 
uh, because it was creating misalignment. They were so divided. And that, that gathering uh, was, is now referred to as the Jerusalem Council, and that's what we read about in Acts chapter 15. The gathering of the church to say, okay, we're misaligned. We're out of alignment. We have different, different opinions. There's differences. There's division. What do we need to come back to and align on? And that's why this, this is such a very important um, chapter for us to discuss, and it'll be helpful for us to say again, what is it that they got misaligned over, and what is it they got, that brought them back together? Now, normally, when, when, we, when I teach, I'll, I read the whole passage all at one time, and then we'll go back over it verse by verse. But today, what I want to do is I just want to let the passage unfold as I teach it. So we're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to talk about Acts chapter 15, and we're going to, let, we're going to discover what takes place in the church at this time. So Acts 15, beginning in verse 1, says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch um, and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is taking place after uh, the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, and many Gentile believers, that is non-Jewish believers, were coming to faith in Christ. Word of this comes to the uh, people, the church in Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish church, and they um, are very concerned. And they're very concerned that people are coming to faith in Christ, but they haven't fully accepted the Mosaic law. And in particular, they are being circumcised. And so what they're, what they're doing is they, they basically they're sending people, guys, out from the, the Jewish church to the non-Jewish churches to tell them and correct them on their theology. And, and this is an interesting thing because the guys that they're sending to the non-Jewish uh, church are guys probably who... Um, we're not bad guys. They're probably very sincere. They're very concerned about the purity of the church. They just have bad theology but, because they're coming and they're teaching a, a, a message that's different than the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were teaching. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas were teaching that the, only, the, the, re, the way to come to faith, uh, sorry, salvation is through faith in Christ alone. It's a gift of grace. But the Jewish uh, people who were coming were saying, well, there's that but you also need to be circumcised and you need to all follow all of the Mosaic law. So this is where the tension begins. And just for you and I reading that, we may go, ah, what's the big deal? Why is this such a big tension point? And I just need to stop and help us recognize it is a, is a big deal because for the Jewish believers, this was a, a very much a challenge for them because, again, the beginning of the church began with Jewish believers and they had their, um, their culture that they'd grown up with. They had their kosher foods and their, their rituals and their, their laws, and they had their, their rich history. And now all of a sudden, you have all these non-Jewish people coming in that don't have the same history and culture and laws, and they're flooding into the church, and it creates this tension point for them. And this is why it, it became a, a real challenge. So just picture the church potluck and the church potluck is going on, and all of a sudden a bunch of non-Jewish people come with their ham sandwiches to the church potluck. And the Jewish Christians are looking at the non-Jewish people with their ham sandwiches, and they're like, hey, we need to do something about that. So they go to the non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, and they say, okay, here's, here's the deal. Here's your guest badge, because you're a guest with us right now. You're not fully a member, because there's a few things you need to understand. First of all, um, we don't eat ham. That looks like a delicious sandwich, but I'm, sandwich, but I'm sorry, that's not part of our Jewish custom. So 
Um, that has to go. And by the way, um, if you want to be a true member of this church, if you really want to become a Christian, not only can you not have ham, there's a few other laws that you need to know about. In fact, let me get them for you. Here they are. There's a law. There's 600 laws that we need you to memorize and follow perfectly before we let you into our church. So again, guest badge, because you still need to follow all of these laws. You need to be Jewish before you can become a Christian. Oh, and by the way, have we mentioned one last thing? If you're a guy with us today at church as a visitor, um, there is this small surgery that's required before you can become a part of this church. Um, don't worry, you know, it's going to be great. We'll celebrate when it's all over. We've got a great guy out back. He'll take care of you. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be quick and easy. Now, do you think that kept a few people out of the church? If that was the membership process? But that's what was going on. I mean, I think about it in, in today's, in, in, if that was, this is kind of the process for today, I, I imagine there would be so many um, guys who would be left in the parking lot when they're coming to church in their cars. Drop off the kids and drop off, you know, wife and their kids. Okay, honey, go ahead. Have a great time with the kids. I just need to sit here in my car a little bit longer and contemplate this whole surgery requirement before I come to church, okay? So you just feel it that there's real tension there, that if this is the requirement to become a Christian, to be a part of the church, that there's, a, there's some pushback. And this is part of that tension. And, and it's not a new thing. It's, it's a thing that continues in, in, in different ways, in different environments. I hope that I get to live long enough to see a, a great um, conversion of the Muslim world to Christ. I hope that I get to live and to see uh, people who are coming from the Muslim world place their faith in Christ and come into the church. And, and, and just like many people, like several generations ago, couldn't have conceived of um, what's been going on in China and how many people in China have been turning and placing their faith in Jesus Christ and the explosion of the church in China. I, I long for that to happen in the Muslim world. But, but just think about it for a moment. When that takes place, and I pray it does, what happens when the church that's predominantly non-Muslim is then flooded with all these new Muslim converts? Thousands, perhaps millions of Muslims that are brought into the church. And it's a wonderful thing, but it would create some questions, wouldn't it? There'd be questions like, well, what about how they dress? Is that still a good idea? What customs do we keep or not keep? What if they still want to practice or celebrate Ramadan if it is for Christ now? Or, you know, what if they want to take a pilgrimage? Is that okay? What if they want to pray, but now they're going to pray towards Jerusalem? Is that an okay thing? And all of a sudden, you begin to wrestle with, well, what do we keep? What do we not keep? Their culture coming in with our culture. If it's about faith in Christ, where does this come? And it takes great wisdom. And I use this as an illustration to point out the fact that it's not so simple when you, when you bring groups of people together. And especially when there's a majority group that's being, um, when there's a, mi a more minority group that's being brought into a majority group. And all of us like the idea of diversity. We all like the idea of we should have diversity. That is, if a few people are coming in, but if a lot of people are coming in, um, the majority group, there's tension there. Because oftentimes when we think diversity, we think to ourselves, yes, let's bring some different people in. Um, and that's great as long as they act like us and they look like us and they talk like us. That's cool. But when there's a bunch of diversity and it just kind of crumbs together like that, there's, there's challenges. We, we think about that in churches that are, you know, maybe a church that is predominantly Chinese. 
and all of a sudden there's an influx of, of Japanese believers. Now, they're both Asian, coming from Asian countries, but there's very different cultures, and they're very different practices, and so there's that tension that can take place there. In the church today, if there's um, a church that has, you know, high level of affluence, and then a bunch of people who are on, on poverty level come in, there's, there's, there's differences there. There's, there's challenges there. How do we all work together, and how does, this, how does this come together? If there's a church that's predominantly retirees, and then all of a sudden they turn around and half the church is teenagers and people in their 20s, there's going to be like some tension there because they look different, they act different, they talk differently, they have different kind of preference in terms of style of, of music or um, way of, of worshiping and different things like that. And it creates tension. So just paint that picture to say this is what's taking place in the early church. And for the Jewish Christians, they're, having, they're trying to struggle through what does it mean to be a Christian. What does it mean for them to come into the church with a different culture, different background, different practices, and what is important? So this is the tension, and what, what happens is the church, the Jewish church is basically sending missionaries to go correct Paul's um, teaching. So they send them to say, hey, Paul was wrong. It's faith in Christ, but you need to be circumcised and follow the Mosaic law as well. Um, but Paul and Barnabas were not having it. Having it. Look at verse 2. It says this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas, it brought them in, in, in conflict with the, the people. And again, probably not bad people. They just had bad theology. But there was such division and such misalignment that they said, we need to go back to the church in Jerusalem and we need to talk about this issue because we're out of alignment. There's two different things being taught. The church is, is it's disrupting the church and the movement of the church, so let's figure this out. And I love the fact that they say, let's go talk. Let's go figure it out. And so they come together. They send Paul and Barnabas um, along with some others to see the apostles and elders about this question. Then verse 3. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told uh, how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. So people were, were excited to hear that the good news is spreading, that more and more people are coming to faith in Christ. Then verse 4 says this, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So they got to the church, they were welcomed, and they began to share what God was doing, how the church was expanding, and more and more people, including non-Jewish people, were placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Then, verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And so this is where the tension comes back into place. And if you're looking at this verse and you're, you've, you've you know, been a Bible student or you've been around church conversations, you notice that this the group of Pharisees that were believers that were bringing up this question. And if you, you're familiar with Bible study, you're maybe thinking to yourself, wait a minute, aren't the Pharisees, aren't they the perennial enemies of Jesus? Aren't the ones that they're always trying to take Jesus down? Yes, but here they are. They're Pharisees who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think this is really powerful. In fact, um, I think this is one of the many convincing arguments for the resurrection of Jesus. 
that those who were opposed to Jesus after the resurrection and were like, oh, wow, he came back, <laughs> came back from the grave. They put their faith in him. It's a, it's a convincing argument for the truth of the resurrection of Christ because those who are opposed and enemies are now turning and putting their faith in him. And so the Pharisees have now put their faith in Christ, but they're having a hard time trying to figure out how someone could become a Christian without being Jewish first. How could someone become a Christian, be a part of the church, without following the Mosaic law, and in particular, circumcision as well? So they're struggling with this, and they bring it up, and this is where tensions flare up. The discussion go, uh, gets, it gets heated. Verse 6 says this, The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. So they met then to say, well, what do we do about this? And they're asking the question, what do we do about the Gentiles, these non-Jewish believers who are coming into the church? But more importantly, they're asking the question, what is the requirement for salvation? Yes, we need to figure out what we're doing with all the non-Jewish people, but we also have to figure out what is requirement for salvation. And that's a critical question. Then verse 7, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So, verse 7, after much discussion, this was something that they had to really work through, that they'd spent a lot of time talking about. And my guess is you've been in meetings like that where there's, there needs to be lots of discussion. And oftentimes in those meetings, there's people that have something to say, and then there's the people that feel the need to say something. And I think that's probably taking place in this discussion, that they're just trying to work it out, let people say what they need to say, let others say, and then really try to figure, work, work towards this, this misalignment that was taking place in the church. So then Peter gets up. After all this discussion, Peter gets up and he says something to them. He says, listen, do you guys remember the story that I told about how God challenged me and my prejudice towards the outsiders? He's like, I'm Jewish, and I, you know, I'm with, with Jesus, but I still had prejudice towards the non-Jewish people. And he's like, do you remember that story? And it's recorded in Acts chapter 10, where God, you know, brings Cornelius into Peter's life. Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. And um, it was, it was uh, Cornelius that um, Peter had to share the good news with, and he received the Holy Spirit, and, and it was clear to Peter that, okay, my prejudice needs to be set down. God's Good news about Jesus is for everyone, and including the non-Jewish, the outsiders. And so Peter's saying, brothers, you remember that? Some time ago, God made a choice uh, among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So he's like, remember my story, my testimony of how God did that? Then verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So he's a, he said, hey, God, God's about the heart. And he, he, he showed us that he's, he's um, given his Holy Spirit to all of them just as he has for us. Verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. The requirement for, faith, for uh, coming to a relationship with God is through faith. That's what he's, he's emphasizing here. Then verse 10 says this, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Why are you putting the law on the Gentiles saying that this is how you're going to be saved when it didn't work for us? The law didn't work for us, but the law, what it does do is it reveals our need for a Savior. So don't put it on them as a requirement for salvation. The, the law is there to reflect, to say, yeah, 
how much we need a Savior. So let's not put that yoke on them. It didn't work for them. And Peter's saying, hey, listen, I denied Christ three times. It didn't work for me either. I couldn't live up to the law. I needed grace. And so then, verse 11, this is what he says. No, we believe that it's through grace that our Lord Jesus, that we are saved just as, we, as they are. So it comes back to grace. It's faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. That's, that's the, the point that Peter is making. Now, after Peter makes this speech and he talks to them about his experience and the message of, 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 of salvation through grace uh, by faith alone, he says this in verse 12. Uh, hap- this is what happens in verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles and through them. So then Paul and Barnabas starts to tell more about how the church is expanding and how more and more uh, non-Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ. Then, verse 13, um, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Now, James, um, after Peter has talked, after Paul and Barnabas have shared their stories, the testimony of the church expanding, James gets up and talks. And this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, um, by all accounts, is the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And Eusebius, um, the historian, records that he's probably the, the one that's kind of overseeing this uh, whole Jerusalem council. So James is the one that's really everyone is looking up to. He's highly respected. And so they're listening to him. And he says, brothers, he said, listen to me. Verse 14. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name um, from the Gentiles. So he's like, this is what Peter is describing that God has interviewed, intervened. He wants those who are outsiders, those who are um, non-Jewish, to come to faith. In verse 15, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. So James is saying, we've heard the testimony of Peter, but let me tell you, this also aligns with Scripture. He's saying, listen, we need to come back to what God's Word says. God's Word is never dismissed here. He says, we need to go back to Scripture, and where does it align with Scripture? And he says, it aligns with the prophets. And he's about to quote one prophetic um, statement, but when he says prophets, it's prophets plural. That is, this talked about in Isaiah. It's talked about in, um, uh, in you, know, Ab- you know, the covenant with Abraham, that there would be a blessing to the nations, not just to Israel. So this is throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures, that God's heart is for the outsiders, and he has an ever-expanding desire for more and more people to come and place their faith in him. But then he quotes from Amos chapter 2, and it says this, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. Then verse 17, um, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, these things known from long ago. So again, what I want you to see in verse 17, the highlight point is this, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles. So James is saying, listen, this is, this is confirmed by Scripture. This is, this is what Peter is saying, what Paul is saying. This aligns up with what God has said and has been saying throughout the Old Testament. This is what we need to come back to. Then listen to what James finally says in verse um, 8, 19. He says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I love that statement. It's highlighted in my Bible, and I encourage you to do the same. I love it. He says, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. If we were to put it in our, in our day, it's let's not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Uh, let's not make it difficult for them. And so then the question 
that we have to ask ourselves is, okay, that's the, that's the final statement. This is where they came back to alignment. They say, we, 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 we can't make it difficult for those who are turning to God. We need to get back to the gospel, to the main thing. How is it that that church, the early church that got out of alignment, got brought back into alignment? And this is what I want to focus on. If, you have, if you're a note taker, you have notes, hopefully, you can follow along. There's a couple of things that I want to point out that help the early church get back into alignment that also is still practiced by our church to say, how do we stay in alignment? And so there's two foundations that the early church practiced and looked to to be in alignment. There's two foundations that we hold to as well to make sure that we are in alignment. Let me give you the, the two foundations. The first, the, the first one is the Bible. The second foundation is the gospel, the good news. These are the foundations that the early church used, again, like I said, to get back into alignment. It's the same foundations that we hold on to at South Hills Church to say, how can we make sure that we are in alignment? And the reason why the Bible, the first one, is so important is because the Bible is our final authority. The Bible is our final authority. Um, When we, we see that James, in the early church, he heard all the testimony. They talked. They heard the testimony of, of Peter. They heard the testimony of Paul. But what did he do? He stopped and said, does this align with Scripture? That's what he did. He said, what does God's Word have to say? That's the final authority to make sure that we are in alignment. And that same thing is practiced for us today. We're, we, we want to and need to, as a church, always come back to, to ask the question, what does the Bible say? What does God's Word have to say? Because we need to align with that because that's our final authority. Now, you may be here today, and the Bible isn't your final authority. You may say, yeah, it's, it's an ancient writing. It's, it's, you know, there's some stories there. It's not my final authority. And I get that. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're participating in a part of this. But we want to be up front with you and tell you that it is our final authority. Amen. That God's Word is what we look to to say, okay, how do we make sure that we're going in the right direction? How do we make sure that we know that what we're doing is informed by what God's heart is for us and for the world? And so it is our final authority. And it will continue to be our final authority. And it will inform what we do, how we practice, how we worship. It will inform all of those things. And so we just want to be upfront and clear that that is our foundation as well. And then the question that I might have for you, if it's not your final authority, is this. What is your final authority? If it's not God's word, what is your authority? What is it that you look to to be your final authority? And we invite you to consider with us looking to God's word and allowing it to inform you and lead you and be uh, something that you can align your life uh, uh, around too. So this is the first thing. Our, uh, the, the, the Bible is our final authority. We see the early church get back into alignment on that, and we do as well. The second one is the gospel. The gospel is the other part that is a foundation for us because it it is our only hope. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And I love when Peter, he gets up and says, listen, the law isn't it. The law reveals our need for a Savior. And that's what Jesus came. And that's good news. Our hope isn't in following a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws, trying to live up to a standard that we cannot live up to. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is not in some ritual act. Our hope is not in what family we're born into. Our hope is not in some impressive resume that we can build up and somehow get God to say, wow, you're amazing. Come on in. That's not our hope. 
Our hope is in the fact that God did something great for us, what we couldn't do, that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins so that through faith in his work, which is um, what he did on the cross, we can find forgiveness and hope. That is our hope. That's what Peter says. Listen, it's grace. I needed grace. Peter said, I, you know, I've fallen and I've struggled. I need God's, Jesus, God's grace through Christ. And guess what? We all do. And this, again, is what a part of our foundation. How we get back into alignment is to say, what is our only hope? And let's make sure that all times through our worship experiences, through our ministries, through all that we do, that we are talking about the good news of Jesus Christ that we're dripping the good news of Jesus Christ, that we're inviting people to consider to put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we do because it is our only hope. This is our foundation. We are aligned around God's word and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, with that foundation, the question is, okay, that's how we get back in alignment. But then the question is, how do we stay in alignment? And that's where our mission is so important. And so I just want to highlight again our mission. So we get back into alignment by God's word and the gospel. What is our mission? Our mission is this. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. And we get this from um, the great commission found in Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus, um, his final statements to the disciples were, go and make disciples. We have the passage for you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the baptism side, that's helping people find faith in Christ. Then there's the teaching side, helping them follow Jesus Christ, what it means to be a follower. So we're on both ends of it. We want to help introduce people to Christ, receive the good news, and then help them understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to rejoice in the good news. We have as our mission both sides of those things, and we have to stay aligned on that mission. And nothing else can distract. So then the question is, well, how can you personally, how can we as individuals, if that's the mission of the church, and that is the mission not just of this church, but all Christian churches, if that's the mission of the church, how can us, you, me, individually stay aligned with that mission and in the heart of God? And so let me give you a couple of principles from this passage that will help us stay aligned. How can you align with the mission? Here's the first one. Remember to keep an outward focus over an inward focus. Remember to keep an outward focus over an inward focus. This is very, very important because just like it was for the early church, it's easy for us to look through our own lens and to see things the way we, our preferences and the way that we were raised, or the way that our, you know, our practices, and then say, well, they, they, people from the outside need to, you know, come align with who we are, and how we do things, and the, the, that was a struggle for the other church, but it, it can be a struggle for the church today as well, because the, the gravitational pull for every church is to look inward and not outward, The gravitational pull for every church is to go inward, not outward. But we see the book of Acts, God's, God's, the birth of the church is outward. That he wants to start with the church and he wants to continue to reach people through all the nations. And so we have to stop and say, how can I remember to be thinking about the outsider and not just the insider? When we think about how we practice and what we do, 
It's wonderful that we grow close and are stay, we stay connected and there's certain things that we value and we, we celebrate, but at the same time, we have to keep our eyes open for the outsider who's coming in and make sure that we are thinking about those who are on the outside and thinking about those who are far from God and not be settled with, oh, we're good because we're all together here and miss the fact that there are people outside the church, there's people in the community who are lost without Jesus who need the good news, who don't have that ultimate hope that we have. So we, as a church, need to continue to say, how can we keep looking out and not just be focused in? That is part of the heart of God that we cannot miss. A second way that we can align with the mission is this, to keep the gospel the main thing. Keep the gospel the main thing. This is important because there's nothing that we can add to Christ for people to to, to find salvation. There's no way we can earn it or do certain steps or have, you know, you know, act a certain way to be a Christian. And this is a challenge sometimes for us as Christians in the church because we get things backwards. Our mission is to help people find and follow Christ. But sometimes what we want for people is start following, that is, start acting like a Christian and hope, you, you know, you should become a Christian instead of stopping and say, no, Christ is what changed people. We got to get to the gospel, come to faith in Christ. Then we'll allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and to change you. But we sometimes look at at non-Christians or people outside the church with disgust and like, why are you acting this way? Why are you talking this way? Why do you have that kind of a mindset? And and it doesn't make sense because they haven't, they don't have the mind of Christ yet. Until you come and place your faith in Christ, you can't be transformed, and we can't expect that and put it on them. So we have to keep the gospel the main thing. And this is important because there was what, something the early church struggled with, so we can struggle with too. We, we, we can tend to think to ourselves, well, if you want to become a Christian, you also need to, and we fill in the blank, you need to be a part of my cause, you need to be a part of my political party. You need to be an American. You need to dress a certain way, act a certain way. We add other things instead of stopping and saying, no, they need Jesus. That's the main thing. And then let's let God work on their heart and help them become more and more like Jesus. But it doesn't go the other way around. So we got to keep the gospel the main thing. And then discipleship follows. Then the third one is this. Don't create obstacles that keep people from turning to God. Don't create obstacles that keep people from turning from God. The early church, as well as the church today, still has to stop and say, are there certain things that we're creating as barriers, as obstacles that are tripping people up on their way to turning to God? And we need to clear those out of the way. James says, let's not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Let's not add things. Let's not put certain requirements in their way. Let's not put things that trip them up um, on their way to coming to God. And so let's not make it difficult. And that's an important thing for us to stop and say, are there things that we're doing, the things that we're practicing, things that we hold on to that are making it hard for people who are turning to God? And let's get rid of those things. Now, here's the interesting thing. We got to make sure that we're not putting things that are obstacles, stumbling blocks, for people who are turning to God. But here's the interesting thing. The cross of Christ is a stumbling block for people. The reality is people do stumble over Jesus. They, you know, they want spirituality. They want to, you know, hey, we want to, we want God in general. We want good things. We want good vibes, all that kind of stuff. But don't give me this thing I have to surrender to Jesus. That's hard. 
That's a stumbling block for people. And, and that's just the reality because it means I'm not putting faith and confidence in myself. In fact, I'm abandoning faith and confidence in myself, and I'm putting faith and confidence in Jesus. And that's a big step. That is a big step for people. It's a freeing step. It's an amazing step. It's the good news, but it's this big step for people. But let's just make sure that we're not making other obstacles before they get to that one. If that's the stumbling block, let's let that be the stumbling block where people have to say, what do I do with Jesus? Not what do I have to do with everything else that the church is putting in front of me before I get to Jesus? Does that make sense? So we just have to be clear on that and then invite people to put their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is how we need to be aligned and how we get back into alignment. Again, it's God's word, it's the gospel, and it's good news. It's good news. It is our great hope. So let's take a moment. I want to pray and ask that God would continue to line our hearts with his as a church and as individuals of the church. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. As we come before the Lord, this is just a moment, opportunity for you to come before the Lord because we are a church and you're part of a larger body of people here, but you're also an individual that's part of the church. And today might just be a moment for you. And I just want to, I don't want to skip over the fact that you may be here today and you're saying, I don't know if I've ever place my faith in Jesus, that I have been putting my hope in myself, and it's not working. And if you're in that spot and you recognize your need for something more, Jesus is the answer. And maybe today, this is a moment for you to say, God, I trust in you. I believe in Jesus. I want to abandon confidence in myself, and I want to put my faith and trust in you. Trust that you died on the cross for my sins so that I can have forgiveness and I can have life. You pray that prayer. You receive his grace. You receive his forgiveness. That's it. It's all you have to do. Trust him and then let him work and transform your life from the inside out. God, as a church and as members of the church, Lord, we, we want to be in alignment with you. And we know that it's possible at times we get tripped up and we miss your heart for people, for people who are outside. We can get so focused on what's happening inside or through our own certain grid or lens. But Lord, help us to have your heart, to see people the way that you see people, to be people uh, uh, individually and as a church that come back to your word over and over again so that we can be aligned with you. Help us to be people who also remember that good news is good news, not just for us, but for others. Help us to be a church that shares that with other people, both in how we act and what we say and, what, and, and all that we, that we do. God, we pray this in your name, that you would help us to be a church that's a light for you. We pray this, God, in your name. Amen.